And hello once again, everybody. I'm Gary Thorne, and we welcome you to the Sports Rivals. It is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? As always, our purpose here is to preserve memories of classic sports rivalries through the words of those who participated in them. These are the rivalries that are described from the inside out. We are delighted today to have two real interesting guests who I can't wait to get going. You'll hear little from me if these two act as they normally do. Once they start, they'll be on and probably won't be able to cut them off at the end. All right, our guest today, Steve Lyons. Steve, uh, nine seasons, Major League Baseball, 1985 through 1993. Steve Lyons played in 852 Major League Baseball games, finished with a 252 career average. He was selected in the 1981 draft. He was 19th overall, a first-round pick in 1981. Steve has a career that's just filled with great stories, including the fact that he played every position in Major League Baseball and once did that in a single game. We'll probably talk about that. The nicknames for both of our guests today will be discussed, I'm sure. Steve Lyons has picked up the name Psycho, which is used more often than the other. However, there is a Moon Man story to be revealed as well. Uh, He was the 10th player award winner when playing with the Red Sox. In 1995, he's gone into broadcasting, Fox, the Dodgers, Nesson with the Red Sox. And uh, what amazed me the most about this is that when talking about Steve Lyons, we're also talking about Rex Hudler or vice versa. Their numbers, statistics, and careers are so similar. Rex played for 14 seasons, 774 games, almost the same number that Steve played in. Rex played from 1984 to 93. He played uh, with the Yankees, the O's, the Expos, Cardinals, Angels, and Philadelphia. He, too, Rex Hudler, was a first-round pick. That was by the New York Yankees back in 1978. He, too, played a number of positions. He played every position except pitcher and catcher at the major league level. He, too, earned some nicknames. Big Eater is one of them. The one more commonly used is Wonder Dog for Rex Hudler. He, too, went into broadcasting with the Angels and a long career now with the Kansas City Royals. Before we listen to Steve Lyons and Rex Hudler, let me read a couple of things to introduce them to you. One is from the writer Stephen King in a foreword to Steve Lyons' book. King said, Lyons epitomizes what may be the best in sport, a player who is not great, but who was at times elevated, crazed, some might believe, by his love of the game and his determination to play it well. Stephen King on Steve Lyons. Rex Hudler was quoted in the San Francisco gate.com as saying, I played for the guy in the stands who never played. That one hopper back to the mound, I ran it out because that guy would have run it out and I didn't want to cheat him. I thought both quotes epitomized what these players are all about. And I'm going to use, I'm going to ask each of you to respond to this because I'm not quite sure whether I, I almost wasn't going to use it because 
I wonder if it's derogatory. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute. No, it's not. Both have been defined, if you go look them up almost anywhere, as utility players. And I, I wondered as I read that, does it bother you? Does it move you? Did it move you then? Is it a description that's fair? Rex Hedler, I'll start with you. Welcome. Wow, Gary, thank you. Pleasure to be on with you and Psycho. Uh, a couple of guys I'm, I'm, I very have a lot of respect for. Um, to answer the question, utility player, I never, never signed with the Yankees at 17 years old out of high school expecting to be a career utility player. And actually, I was, was not a career utility player. For 10 years in the minor leagues, before I got my break to go to the big leagues, uh, I was an everyday player. And so I expected to get that role when I made, made it to the majors. But because, uh, because I, I, you know, I didn't really focus on what I was supposed to be focusing on um, as a young person, very immature physically and mentally, it took me longer than, than I expected. So when I got to the big leagues for good at 28 years old, I had to accept my role or find another occupation. So I accepted my role. I'm thankful that I had um, – I was blessed with athleticism. Uh, my, the only thing I could do more than cycle, I think, is run. Uh, I, you know, and I, and I ran – and my career average was 262. His is 252. I ran that 10 points higher probably. I bunted a lot. Uh, you know, heck, I, I, that, that whole 262 average was, was all ran, most of it. I hit a gap once in a while. I mean, eight career triples really in 10 years. Just over 100 RBIs. I mean, my numbers were embarrassing. It is flat out embarrassing. Uh, it, but, you know, if you're, if you're looking to judge a player based on his numbers, um, I was more about career, uh, traveling, cities, people, meeting people that, that are their lifelong uh, friends. Uh, those are the things that I gained from now that, that I'm 60 years old and been out of the game for a long time. Yeah, you know, you and I, we are the same guy. We're absolutely the same player, um, but we do think differently. I mean, when I when I signed, I never thought I was going to make it to the big leagues. First time I thought I'd get to the big leagues was when I was in AAA, having a really good year, and I, it dawned on me that if someone got hurt in the big leagues, that I might actually get there. Unfortunately, when I did get there, I got tabbed as a utility guy right away. I, I think I, in my rookie year, I had the most at bats crazy story. I didn't make a start in the big leagues in my rookie year until Memorial Day. That would never happen today. I was on the team every day for two months and never started a game. That's impossible to do. I hit two home runs in that very first start. And then I went on to play almost every day after that. So I didn't play at all for two months and then played for four straight months. Had an okay rookie season, but that was when I kind of got tabbed as a guy who could bounce around and play different positions, but I never thought I was going to get there. Um, and, and you're right, Hud, you ran better than I did. You had more power than I did. I seemed to get into more games because I think I played on some bad defensive teams and I got in there to play defense a little bit more often. Wow. You know what? And then we had a chance to play against one another back in our triple A days um, and I remember you in Pawtucket, and I remember you specifically because you were a tough hitter, left-handed. I loved your plate discipline. You know, you had a you had a real good eye. You used the whole field, and you know you had some pop. But you know, you were a gap-to-gap type hitter, and you looked and you ran pretty well. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I was just maybe a uh, a little more daring or something. Did I have better speed than you? 
Yeah, you have better speed. I mean, I tried to steal bases. I stole 55 bases in double A one year. Wow. Um, you know, I got thrown out as many times as I ran. And, I, you know, it was a different game for us back there. In the American League, especially playing for the Red Sox, nobody stole a base. It was waiting for a three-run homer. And, and I'll tell you, you're right. It's so weird. I, I really thought that you and I should have been teammates somewhere along the line, but I don't think any of the teams that we would have been playing on together would have been able to handle it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Psycho, look, three years is as long as a team could stomach me. I would stay three years and and be gone. I I, I played for so many different ball clubs, but, you know, uh, I I was not able to be myself right away. I think it was important when you join a team for the first time that you kind of – you know, you, you kind of just feel your way in. You know, you kind of sit back. You know, there's, 20, there's 30 other guys in the room, um, you know, and, and so you kind of just wait your turn. Uh, but yeah. then eventually I would be myself. And I remember it took me so long to transform from being a scared rookie in 1984. Yogi Bear was my first manager with the New York Yankees. Um, the Yankees didn't have a lot of uh, rookies on their team. There was a guy named Donnie Mattingly uh, who was a rookie that year. Scott Bradley was the catcher and myself. So there was three rookies and all these veteran players. There was no haze, rookie hazing and then either for, for, on the Yankees. Um, other teams did that, but the Yankees were too good for that, I guess. They never did that. Um, I liked it. They treated me with respect right away. And, and, and at that particular time, I, I, was a, I was a character and a personality, but I was uh, going along the guidelines of, of, of how you're supposed to enter the game at that time in our career you all all eyes and ears and no mouth and heck i i I got mentored by dave winfield kent griffey senior willie randolph um phil necro there was just some great veterans and you know what they loved me they loved me i I hustled and did nothing but 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 hustle and laugh because they got on me but i laughed at myself i never said anything uh i just kind of kept a smile on my face ha ha ho hum and end up they, they 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 loved on me, and I'll never forget that they gave me some some lifelong advice. Uh, they they mentored me. They did exactly what you expect a major league player to do to the future. That's passed the game on. Uh, I am so much better a human being and a player because of my first stop seven years with the New York Yankees. Yeah, that's an amazing experience. One that I don't necessarily think I shared. I mean, I felt like I was a rookie my entire career, and. Uh, <laughs> You and I were both guys that were, I I think we both have great leadership skills and could have been great clubhouse leaders, but I didn't have the talent to go along with it. So I couldn't be the guy standing up in the clubhouse going, let's go, you guys shake yourselves. This is crazy. We we should be beating these guys. They just look at me and say, hey, sit down and shut up. What was the last (laughs) time? So, I mean, and plus, I think I was the same guy that you were. And I love your quote of, you know, when I hit a bouncer back to the pitcher, I ran it out because the guy in the stands would expect me to, and he'd do it if he got the chance. You know, my dad told me all the time, it takes no ability to hustle. And I knew that I had to hustle my ass off in order to be an average player. I had to outwork everybody to overcome the fact that I shouldn't have been there in the first place. I had a little bit of athletic ability but nothing off the charts and I just had to 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 work at that and you know you know you go back to when we actually played a lot against each other was in the minor leagues when you were playing in Columbus and you said you respected me and liked my ability I hated you (laughs) because I couldn't get a ball past you I hit everything to the right side I hit hard ground balls to the right side and you were playing second base and I couldn't get one by and it, it, it it made me mad and I 
that was the difference between your major league career and mine was that you did spend, we were the same as far as hustle. I knew I had to hustle every day. You know, that was instilled in me, but my temper got the best of me a lot, you know? So when I didn't play well, um, you know, I was, you know, part of where the cycle came from was, you know, I bounced my helmet a bunch of times. I threw a bat or two. I swore at myself at the end of the bench and that, kind of took away from me and and I'm really actually proud of the way the players play the game today because you rarely see that anymore I don't know if it's because they're making so much money they just don't care or (laughs) it's like you know they just have better control and better discipline of their emotions and that was maybe the one part of my career I, I can handle not being good enough to be an everyday player I remember I called my dad one time I said dad I'm I'm it looks like I'm going to be a utility guy. And I was like, you Rex, I played every day in the minor leagues, you know, all the scars on my elbows and knees are from the minor leagues busting my butt every day sitting on the bench was foreign to me. And at that time, my dad said, well, you know what you have to do is you have to be the best damn utility player in the game. And I never stopped trying to get better, but I knew that that was my role and that I had to make sure I was the best at that. Wow. Unbelievable. Gary, Thorne talked about how similar our numbers were, our time in the majors that we spent. But you know what? Like your dad, my mother was the one who encouraged me to accept my role. And so at the, at the time when, when, uh, when I was, you know, with the Montreal Expos and, and uh, I had been a, a minor league free agent after 10 years of minor league ball, I had a couple cups of coffee in the majors, you know, and here I'd go back to Fresno, California, where I lived and my friends and family would all go, when are you going to make it? When are you going to turn pro? I was driving a lowrider. Are you <laughs> yeah. a lowrider or what? Yeah. Did you ever Did you ever get that one? When are you going to turn pro? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I mean, dude, I've been playing pro baseball for a long time. I just haven't hit the big show. <laughs> exactly. So they didn't know how to do it. So I, didn't, I never really snapped on anybody or anything, but I said, hey, it takes time. It's hard. You know, it's not easy. There's, there's, a, there's a 10,000 players just like me. You know, all-star, all-American in high school and all that stuff. But look, uh, I remember uh, my mom, when I was 28, and, and the Montreal Expos picked me up. The late Gary Hughes was a big uh, – he, he helped me. He was the, the scout for the Yankees when I was the number one pick. And then he was with, working with the Expos. Gary Hughes, a super scout. Uh, he picked me up, and I went there, and uh, they wanted to make me a utility player. And, you know, Psycho, when you hear that word utility player, and if they label that, it's a – one of the toughest labels to shake in baseball. No yeah, question had, about it. I had one of my best years. And now because you and I are both 60, I can't remember what year it was. I believe it was <laughs> 1988. I had a really good season. And they told me at the end of the year that if I didn't go back down, if I didn't go to instructional league and learn how to be an emergency third catcher, that I might not make the team the next season. Uh, they were going to have Kenny Williams come in from the outfield and play third base and they said, look, you're, you're going to go back to being a utility guy. I think I played in the second most games of anybody that season, right behind Ozzie Gian. Gary Thorne, I believe you were there as the announcer. Yeah. I, you know, I got – Hud, you and I, we got to stop this just for a second, only because now, uh, you know, we're both in the broadcasting world. We've both been doing it for a long time, and I'll tell you what, I've never been a play-by-play guy, but one of my true inspirations was listen to Gary. And I, I think, you know, he is one of the absolute best in the game. And uh, you and I have, have worked 
with others who would be considered the best in the game. You know, I've worked with Tom Brenneman. I've, I've worked with Joe Buck. I've worked with, you know, some big names in the game. And uh, I drew inspiration. And I, I love the way, uh, Gary, you, you handle a game, the way you do your job. Uh, it's amazing. And it's, it's been, you know, you have to, you have to draw your inspiration um, from somebody no matter what you're doing. And when I was playing, there were tons of guys around to do that from. But once I started getting into the broadcast world, I knew I had to be myself, but I had to look around and see who do you respect and how can you pattern yourself? Thank you, Steve. I appreciate that. Thank you. The check's in the mail. Hey, psycho though. Um, so back, back to accepting the role. And I said, mom, you know what? It's easy for you to say, accept the utility role. Mom, you know the difference between a utility player and a, an everyday player is about four million bucks. Okay, so look, I'm not I'm not willing to to swallow that utility role. She goes, well, if you the way you play and see, and I was wild cycle. Uh, I was uh, I was a uh, uh, very intense. I was a Kirk Gibson that was a little less, a lot less talented than Gibby, but I was a Kirk Gibson who ran hard, played hard, physical. I was a football player. I had a full ride in Notre Dame before the Yankees drafted me out of there. So I was a I was more of a, I'm going to get you. So, so when, when I, when I accepted my role, my mom said, and don't just sit on the bench, do something, have fun, give some life to the guys. So I really accepted, I embraced it. I accepted uh, my mom's uh, advice. Like I did many times in my life and it all was for the good, but I can tell you uh, just thinking about mom, she always taught me and my two brothers to shake hands firmly and look them in the eye, look people in the eye. Cause first impressions are huge, but I had no idea that when, I left Fresno. They flew me to New York City to meet George Steinbrenner. That that was the first real trip I ever took when I was uh, uh, young. And when George Steinbrenner opened up that door of his office and said, Rex, congratulations, you're a Yankee. I said, Mr. Steinbrenner, thank you so much for, for the opportunity to, uh, to be on your team. And I'm going to help you win a world championship. I really appreciate the, the honor. Um, and he come on in, Rex. So, you know, seven years later, when he, when he traded me to Earl Weaver and the Baltimore Orioles, um, I got a letter from him, and I never uh, heard from uh, an owner that I played for uh, in by letter that wrote me and told me that, that appreciated the, the, the hustle, the way I played, and that I exemplified a great deal what it meant to wear the pinstripes. But I had a re- an actual relationship with George Steinbrenner. And every spring training in the minors, he would come once a spring, one day, and he would always pull me aside. So you can imagine my teammates – Whenever they heard Steinbrenner was coming and George was such a, a powerful boss, you know, they, 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 they knew a week before he came that he was coming. Uh, that was the kind of presence he had. So he, when he pulled me aside, my, book, my teammates would always go, Hud, your daddy's here. Oh, go see your daddy. <laughs> you know, and they, 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 they made a little, 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 little uh, 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 description with their, with their, with their fingers, their hands. Go, mm, 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 mm. So, so, so I loved it, though. I loved the attention. But then, Psycho, when I turned, when I, I, I got engaged to a beautiful woman I met in Columbus, Ohio, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I look back in, the, in, in, in my money, in my bank, and I had enough rent, enough rent for like two months. I mean, that was it. I didn't have any. And she's a nice girl, used to nice things. And and when I got engaged to her, I said, "Hey, honey, I'm going to get ten years in the big leagues, man. It's not over." So I was 28 years old. The odds against that happening, being a 10-year minor league or a 10-year big leaguer, were, weren't even thought of. I don't even not think. So, so I, I I attacked. I went after the game instead of being soft and being afraid 
and seeing Mike Boddicker curveballs when I was a rookie and being scared, uh, I, I said, you know what? It's my turn now. Somebody's paying for the 10 years I just did in the minors. And when I turned that switch on, man, watch out, because I was a dangerous player. And, and I remember a Dusty Baker pulling me aside when he was the hitting coach for the Giants saying, kid, you're going to hurt somebody really bad. You're going to hurt yourself. You got to slow down. And I was confused because I love Dusty Baker. Dusty was a great ball player. He played hard, but I was a little bit con uh, confused. Wow, really? Am I, am I out of control? You're out of control. So that night, I slid into second base, and John Patterson was a rookie, young, young second baseman. Uh, I, I always slid late. Psycho, I was this pop-up slide. I slid late, and I went in on his uh, hard on his glove hand when he, the tag, the throw was ahead of me. It broke. He threw the glove in the air and his hand in the air, and the ball went flying, and I heard him. I didn't know it, but I, I got up and I went to third base and slid under Matty Williams' legs, and Matty fell off balance and fell on, on my, my back, and my knee popped. I felt my knee pop. So there it was. I think it was the same game, same series, one play, two guys on the disabled list. I mean, no one was hurt really bad, but it busted John Patterson's finger and my knee. I, I tore my cartilage, and so there it was. The great yeah, so Dusty Baker, you know, giving me some advice, was, and he was right on. So I had to learn how to play a little more under control. He told he told you you were going to hurt yourself and somebody else, and you did both on the same play. I got, yeah. I, got I got two quick questions for you, Rex. I'll let you think about it as I tell you the answer to mine. We were both first-round picks. You were a year before me, the 18th pick. I was the 19th pick the year later. I signed for $55,000. Uh, the guys that are the 19th-round picks – today are signing for 1.8, 1.9, 2.2 million. I made 2.2 million in my entire career, 13 years, minor leagues, big leagues. Um, but I wanted to ask you too. So I want to know how much you signed for. I also want to know who, what was the greatest compliment that was ever paid to you? Because I'll tell you, for me, when you're a utility guy and you're not out there all that often, you know, if someone says, Hey, there's a, that guy's a gamer, you know, that's probably as good as you can get. But Oil Cam Boyd one time was pitching and I was playing for the Red Sox and I wasn't playing because Tony Armas was playing center field and Oil Cam Boyd went into John McNamara's office and he said, I want you to change the lineup. And, and, uh, and McNamara's like, what? He goes, you don't make the lineup. Up. I make the lineup. Up. He said, I want Lions playing center field. And he said, what? He said, Tony Armas hit 43 home runs last year. He goes, what do you want Lions playing center field for? And Oil Can looked at him and said, because I know that guy will run through a wall to catch a ball if I give up a mistake. And so I want him out. And I was like, I, and I was play, I played center field. And I was like, you know, what better can one of your teammates say of you than something like that? Oh, man, that's awesome, Psycho. Yeah, you know, $125,000 was the uh, – signing bonus that I signed for but but you know um I, I came home from the draft day this was 1978 psycho and 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 uh, the Yankees had won the World Series in 77 and you know in 78 that year too but but this was in June and June draft you know I went to school a typical day but you know nowadays they don't do that take the whole day off you know they're on TV their whole families are in their <laughs> living room you know if you're gonna be a first round pick but I just showed up I walked in the house at three o'clock after school and I and I asked my mom mom anybody call she goes, yeah, the, the damn Yankees drafted you. And I said, really? What, what did you tell them? She goes, I told them they wasted their pick. And I said, you told the Yankees that? Yeah, because you're going to Notre Dame. 
My son is going to Notre Dame to get a, a great degree at a great university and catch passes from some guy named Joe Montana. So look, if you're gonna if you're gonna draft my son, you know you're gonna have to overpay for him to come. So a uh, week goes by, the Yankees come to town. My mom sends me out of the house when they walk in. Now, I didn't have an agent because it would have ruined my eligibility for college. So my mom. Uh, sends me out to go get a pizza, says, come back in 40 minutes. We never talked about this. And she goes, just go. And I come home 40 minutes later, knock on my front door, it's locked. And I open, my mom opens the door and she goes, congratulations, son, you're a Yankee. <laughs> so, Al, Rosen, Al Rosen was the vice president of the Yankees at Jack Butterfield, one of Steinbrenner's right-hand guys, were there. And my mom, I said, mom, why did you send me out? She goes, because you would have probably jumped at the first offer. So I, that I ended up, I ended up getting 125, 150 grand, and 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 that was the the highest bonus that George Steinbrenner's ever paid a player. So it was a big deal back then, and uh, certain my parents wouldn't let me uh, have the money. I had to have a dual signatures, one of their signatures and mine. So that ended up being a great uh, idea because I couldn't waste the money. Uh, so I I was I needed something for the ten years in the minors. Well, cycle what we make eight hundred dollars a month. Uh, yes. Before taxes, I mean, so it ended up being a huge blessing uh, that my mom. But I just was, you know, I was expected to be a Derek Jeter. That, but but I was nowhere close. You came out of college. How did those three extra years playing in college help you when you got in? You didn't do a lot of minor league time, did you? Uh, three and a half years in the minor leagues, not ten. Ah, like through with you. <laughs> But, you know, I, I never, I didn't have great college years at Oregon State because it rained on me every day. I had one great summer season in the collegiate league in in Dodge City, Kansas, and I just played way over my head. And then I came back for my junior year and kind of stunk it up again. But they kind of drafted me on potential, uh, clearly because the the my my, uh, my scout that was in my area had testicular cancer during the draft so when they came to they, they sent some bureau scout to try to sign me and they told me that they they thought i'd be an easy sign because i really didn't deserve to be a first round pick because nobody in the pacific northwest knows how to hit a slider so they drafted me and then then told me how bad a player i was i didn't even know i got drafted because no one had an address for me because i had played that summer league by the time i came back home Everyone had already had an apartment. I had nowhere to live. My girlfriend actually called me and I was mad because, you know, back then we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have call waiting. We didn't have anything. So when the phone rang and it was her, I was upset with her because I said, don't call me. You're not supposed to call me unless I get, you know, I'm waiting for the phone to ring. And she goes, no, no, no. Well, you don't understand. I already heard it on the news down here. You got drafted by the Red Sox. I'm like, what? My dad called the newspaper. He goes, are you, are you saying Stephen John Lyons got drafted by the Red Sox? <laughs> we didn't believe it. Because I had heard that I was going to get drafted by the Phillies in like the third round. And in those days, they only did the first two rounds. So I was upset. I figured I wasn't going to I wasn't going to get drafted at least the third round. And Psycho, you know, that's historical. My face is burning. I'm laughing so hard. Psycho, uh, you know, I, I, the, the, I take, like I shared earlier, I take away from the career 21 years total, minors and majors and a year in Japan, uh, the people I met. But the managers I got to play for was just unbelievable. And that's the only thing that I brag about about my career. And I don't brag about it. I mean, I brag about it because I didn't have any control over that. Only one time was I a free agent. Now, did you make it to free agency? 
Yeah, I made it to free agency a bunch of times when I didn't want to be one because no one wanted me. That's why I was a free agent. <laughs> yeah. I lucked out, Psycho. I'm telling you. So so here it was. Yogi Berra was my first manager. They fired Yogi at the after in the midway through the 95 or 85 season. They hired a guy named Billy Martin for the final time. Okay, got to play for both of those guys. And then they traded me to Earl Weaver. So I had Yogi, Billy, and Earl my first three years. And then I went from there to, to Buck Rogers and the Montreal Expos. Whitey Herzog traded for me a couple years later, two or three years later. Whitey Herzog. And then he quit. Joe Torrey took over. Joe Torrey took over. In the meantime, Red Shandies did, uh, filled in for a couple of weeks till they hired Joe out of the Angel booth, uh, ironically. Yeah. And so yeah. then then was Torrey. Then I went on. Uh, heck, I played. I played for a, a guy in Japan who was one of the most famous guys behind Sadahara O. His name was Katsuya Namura, and that was a full season there, but cycle. That's why I learned how to play under control. Because like the modern-day player that you talked about today, how, how much under control they are and how, how you know, it seems like they're, they were trained better or of, of hand, how to handle failure. Um, all the Japanese players played under control, self-control. They're taught that. The Japanese people are taught that at a young age. So I played there, and I learned how to play under control, same intensity, same hustle, but not the intent, to, the intent to hurt my opponent as I did for the first five years of the majors. And then I came back. I was wondering what was going to happen. We won the Japan World Series. I hit 300. I was the only American over there to hit, to, you know, to hit the top 10. Uh, and so um, I was expecting to come back. Team hadn't won the Japan Series in 25 years. Uh, hit 300 on the nose. And they, I went home and they, they sent me my pink slip. And that's the only time I cried when I got released. I, cried, you know, I got released a lot of times. But I cried. I was like, oh, man, and they paid me a million bucks for the summer, Psycho. It was unbelievable. Raise your hand out there if you want to play baseball in Japan for a million dollars. Yeah, so so anyway, uh, uh, um, I, I came home when they fired me, and I'm going, I, my agent, the great Arn Tellum, I said, Arn, I can't believe they fired me. He goes, Hud, I'll try to find you a job. Dusty Baker and the Giants hired me, okay? And with one week to go in, in spring training before the season in 94 started, they fired me. Bussy Baker let me go. And so Bill Bavese, uh, the next day, came to the hospital room as we just delivered our first baby, uh, Jennifer did. He came to the room, offered a hand and said, hey, is Rex here? Well, he no, he was stepped out for lunch. Well, give him my card. Tell him he's on my 40, on my 25-man roster. He made my team. So you know how when you when you get released that time of spring training, the, the veterans' names are on the wire, and, and all the other teams can claim that veteran. So that's what happened. Uh, God had me in the right state, but in the wrong city. And, and the, the Angels, and Buck Rogers, once again, was the manager there for the Angels. And he knew I could hit lefty psycho, and he picked me up. And I was able to uh, jumpstart my career again. Um, as the ball looked like a beach ball because of the 500 at-bats I got in Japan, all the breaking balls I saw over there. So that got me my five more years in the majors. But then it was it was uh, uh, Marcel Latchman, um, Johnny Mack. Uh, Johnny Mack filled in with Latch, when Latch resigned. Um, and then I got um, I only a free agent one time in cycle. I only had one good year in my 21 years. And it happened to be a, my free agent year with the Angels. Yeah. I hit over 300, you know, hit some bombs, you know, stole some bases. And so the poor Philadelphia Phillies had to pay for it. And a guy named, a guy named Terry Francona was a first-year manager with the Phillies in 1997. And so it went on to, to Francona. And then, of course, with the Angels, Joe Madden. So it was just, the managers I got to play for, Psycho, was, it was a list of, of unbelievable managers and, and Hall of Fame managers. So for that... I'm extremely grateful. 
Yeah, I, I do not have that same story. I mean, uh, I mean, I didn't play for bad managers, but I didn't play for guys that I jumped up and down for. And, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't deal with my manager that much because I always figured if I was talking to him, then I was in trouble for doing something. And so I just it was like it was like it was like any job I've ever had. Stay out of your boss's office. You know, I don't want to be there. Well, I wanna... Psycho, you played all you played all nine in one game. That is only given to a mat to a player who the manager loves. So who was the skipper when that happened? That was Jeff Torborg, but it was sort of like a side deal that we had because the year before, like I said, the year before I had played a lot and I kind of expected to play a lot the next season and they made some changes. They made some moves. And next thing you know, I was back on the bench and I kept thinking I was kind of, was one of your top five players the year before and now I'm not playing at all. And so Jeff was a, a sensitive guy in, in that regard. And he, what he did tell me, he says, if we ever clinch the division, I'll let you do it like the next day or before the season's over. But we were a crummy team, so we weren't going to clinch any divisions. <laughs> so, you know, so I said, oh, thanks. Thanks for nothing. So when, you say, when, you say, when you say do it, that means, means play all nine in one game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I, so I ended up getting to, to do that against uh, the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, it's, it's absolutely one of the feathers in my cap because there's only been a few guys that ever do it. Uh, there's only the, the few guys that had the skills to do it. Shoot, I was my, my pitching record. I have a 3.0 ERA as a pitcher. That's, I probably should have done that instead of all the other crap I tried. <laughs> <laughs> that's, no, a pretty, that's, a, that's a good ERA. You get $10 million for that this year. Right. I, mean, I ever played for, I only played for him for a month. And, and nobody says that. The best organization I ever played in released me and that was the Braves and that was really the beginning of my downfall in 1992 I signed with the Braves uh that was the year they they that Deion Sanders ended up being the center fielder because he went unbelievable they thought they were going to send him back to AAA for another year he had such a great spring they had to keep him they had signed me to play center field and second base but in the playoffs the year before that they kind of fell in love with Mark Glemke as their second baseman uh, all due respect to Mark and everything. I love the guy. I'm not so sure he was any better of a second baseman than, than I could have been, but he was in the playoffs with them. Bobby Cox loved him. So he was going to be their guy. And then Deion Sanders took over in center field. So they had no use for me. So May 1st, they released me. I show up, I sign a free agent deal with Montreal following your footsteps. Um, Tom Runnels was the manager he basically guaranteed me a decent utility job. And I love that because I finally got to play in the national league where a utility player should play. I'm a utility player in the American league, my whole career. They don't use those guys. They sit at the end of the bench and don't do anything. So, uh, <laughs> long story short with him, I was there for about six games. I had like 10 at bats. I played a, a couple different positions and then they fire runnels. Felipe Alou takes over. He doesn't even know who I am. I don't play for 28 straight days. And, I, and, and this is a story for another day, but I literally <laughs> traded myself back to the Red Sox in the same season. You <laughs> guys get hurt. I went to the GM. I said, look, they need somebody. Get me, get me back there. They'll take me back. That Two days later, I was flying back to Boston. I literally <laughs> traded myself. <laughs> <laughs> So you play for the Braves, Montreal, and Boston all in the same season. You know your career is about over with. Yeah, cycle. That's beautiful. That's awesome. But you know what? You you milked it all the way to the end, just like I did. 
Hey, but I no, want I should have been able to milk it as far as you did. I was on it three years old. What happened? Yeah, no, no, you're you're right. Because cycle, I was 38 and not so great, and it was time for me to go, man. You got to go, hud. So, so, but, but but before that, let me brag on, on one of the, the Hall of Famers that I, I got to know, and that is the great Red Shandies. You talked about the compliment, you know, that you got with Oil Can Boyd. Matter of fact, we called him Trash Can Boyd. And that oh, yeah. was, uh, yeah, he was he was a teammate of mine in Montreal in one of his last couple of years, along with Spico. And we had a lot of fun there before you got there, Psycho. But but uh, uh, Red, yeah, sit on the bench for the Cardinals. And you're right, I play, I got to play five years in the National League and five years in the American League. And I'll tell you what, the American League was better for numbers because you started once a week as a utility player on Sundays. I was a Sunday player. Give the guy a rest, whoever. But NFL, I would get, I, I would get NFL players. Yeah, I, yeah, I would get four ABs in, in, in one game. And for a timing perspective, I, 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 you know, had a better chance to have a higher average. But in the National League, you got four at-bats in a week, but you got one pinch hit per game, which is the most difficult thing in the world in baseball for it to be and a pinch against hitter. against the other team's ace, usually, or the closer, their setup oh, guy. You're not pinch oh. hitting against some guy that, that you know, is tired. Oh, I remember <laughs> – I remember facing Todd Worrell. Uh, you know, I, I get to pinch hit late in the game, and here's their closer, the Cardinal closer. And, man, I didn't, I didn't see that time of game ever. I was always pinch hit for late. And so I went in there and pinch hit, and I, and I faced Todd Worrell. And I, the fastballs, you know, in the minors, you see guys that throw really hard. And I saw some guys that threw 95 to 100. Uh, but Worrell's fastball looked good. But then when he threw that slider, Oh man, I had to go clean myself up in the club. <laughs> I, I, I drug my I drug my bat back to the dugout and I told I told my skipper, uh, Buck Rogers, don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> don't, don't ever pinch hit for me late in a game against the closer, man. Because I had the same experience. Okay, so wait, let me finish my red story. So I'm sitting in the dugout with with uh, St. Louis, and I love because Red Shandies was in the dugout. And I would, a fellow redhead, and I would just pick his brain the whole game, all the game. But Red, what was it like? Well, back in Wrigley Field, they didn't have a batter's eye. They had people that sat in the bleachers with white T-shirts on, and we didn't even wear helmets. I mean, the stories that he told me were riveting. So yeah. after, you know, I, and, you know, I, whenever they called me off to play, you know, in front of 40,000 at Bush Stadium, man, the crowd it worked me, man. I couldn't stop. I, my, my heart rate would go. And so whenever I got in, you know, Herzog said, kids, slow down. You're the only guy who ever managed it. He gets thrown out of third and gets a standing ovation from the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't stop. So Shandy's one day goes, kid, you'd have been great in my day. You'd have been great. You'd have been on the gas house game. And, and when he told me that, Psycho, that, that made me feel so good that, that if I could play in the modern day back then, I, you know, I could play in his day. That was the greatest compliment. And I love Red. God yeah, bless his soul. What a, what, a, what a great guy. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll go back to a few points. I, I missed one. I got traded to the White Sox. I, I truly believe it was Tony La Russa that wanted to trade for me. He got fired the day before they made the trade. There you go. So I <laughs> A chance to play. My bad at bat story was they sent me in to pinch hit just to bunt. I could bunt, you could bunt, you and I, we had to bunt. We had to do the little things, get right. guys over, bunt them over. Uh, Jeff Russell's pitching for Texas. Oh. He threw three sliders that were I didn't even see. And I'm like, I mean, I could bunt, catch the ball with your bat, right? All I had to do was bunt a guy over. I, I, I'm worthless if I can't do that. 
I took three straight sat, didn't even foul one off. <laughs> <laughs> Went back, sat down. Someone was looking at me funny. I gave my bat to him and said, you go try to hit that slide. <laughs> 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 guys let me look let me just interrupt as i want to make sure we get to this because you as i said i would have little to say in this conversation and i thank god for that the nicknames though psycho let me start with you and then i'll go to rex with the psycho nickname where did it come from did someone in particular give it to you yeah uh good story behind that i mean my my nickname was in the minor leagues was questions because i had <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Oregon. I didn't know what I was doing. So I, I asked a million questions, which I always thought was a good thing. Um, but I guess some of the, you know, veteran guys in the minor leagues thought, you know, I was being annoying. Um, we talked about my temper before. And, and as I said, if I, if I could change anything, probably the thing that I'm least proud of, and people don't talk about that very often. Everyone talks about what you're most proud of. What did you do? How did you do? The thing I'm least proud of it was my my lack of control of, of my temper. Um, it looked bad. <laughs> my dad had a great line. He called me one time. He goes, look, he goes, you're not very good. But he said, even if you were good, you're still, and you got 600 at-bats, you're going to make 450 outs. Are you going to throw your bat every time? I mean, come <laughs> on. It looks stupid. So what happened was uh, I made a crazy play. I think, um, I think it was against Texas. I let off with a single. I got on. Uh, on first base they tried to pick me off and the ball rolled about eight feet away from the first baseman no one else in the world would try to go for second in that situation but I did and I was safe the next hitter was Marty Barrett he hit a flare down the right field line and in those days Fenway was kind of curved from the from third base you couldn't really see the right fielder there was like a big hump in it you know they didn't it wasn't flat and uh, George Wright I think was the right fielder and he dove for the ball I took off running thinking he wasn't going to catch it and he dove for the ball. And right about when I got to third, my thought was, if he catches this ball and doubles me off at second base, and that's the way this game ends, I will never play again. So I scuffle back to second. Meanwhile, George Wright did not catch the ball. Marty Barrett's sliding into second at the same time I am from different directions. He, he pops up and looks at me and goes, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> I take up third. George Wright still doesn't know where he, where he is. He, he's scuffling around to pick up the ball. His glasses had fallen in his face. He throws the ball to third. It goes through Steve Bouchelle's legs. It goes into the dugout. I score. Marty scores. We win the game. And Mark Sullivan looked at me and he goes, man, you are a real psycho. And Mark Sullivan <laughs> fought their own team at the time. So I got nicknamed by Mark Sullivan. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. What a play. That's a blooper play, man. Oh. Well, I was involved in a lot of those. <laughs> so I was wondering, psycho, if that name was given to you before or after you pulled your pants down? Yeah, it was before that. I just had to do something to keep it up. Oh man, Psycho, can you share that? Can you share that story with me? Because I always wondered what you were thinking. But being a ball player myself, after diving back into the base like that, you know, you'd feel dirt. You know, you'd feel rocks going down your uniform and stuff. And you know, you. Know, but but was that was that the reason you did that? Well, I, yeah, exactly the reason I did it. I've had 30 years to come up with real creative answers to the question. <laughs> you know, it depends, it depends on how mean I am, you know, to people. 
<laughs> you know, because people always say, what were you thinking? And I generally say, clearly nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I dove into first and the dirt's running down your legs. And when you think about it, you know, 50% of the time you slide, you're out. So you run down the dugout steps, you go up a few steps and you un- undo your pants and pull them down to get all the dirt out, man. That's, that's right. not cool. But I was... I was out, and if they had replay, which I can't stand, I'm pretty sure you're probably with me on that. That's another show again. Uh, they would have seen that I was out, but they called me safe. So Dan Petrie um, was Dan Petrie was the pitcher. Danny Evans was the umpire. Um, Cecil Fielder was the first baseman, and they're all arguing with Evans, you know, in very colorful language. How can you call him safe? He wasn't safe. And I'm standing there listening to him, but I can feel all the dirt running down my legs, and I totally forgot I was still standing at first base. So I decided to take the pants down and get it out. I, there were, you know, I got, I did 32 radio shows the next morning. I did. <laughs> live newscast in Detroit from the news coming out the next night before the game. Melito Perez had thrown a no-hitter four days earlier, and nobody talked to him. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> they, people were throwing money into the dugout. when I, The next guy bounced into a double play. And he was throwing money into the dugout. <laughs> oh. and, and Jeff Torborg thought maybe I did it on purpose. <laughs> I'd be a marketing genius if I did it on purpose. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Because I, I always wondered and, and, and you know, just made so many highlight reels into and, and I you know that that is that that is one of the greatest things ever. I'm sorry, but you know, that's a great all right, story. Thank all right, you. Wonder Dog. Let's let's hear your story here. Where'd that oh, come man. from? You know, it was crazy. Uh, you know, you mentioned it was, I don't know what you said, but it was bug eater. Okay. I, I ate a June bug in St. Louis. Yeah. St. Louis was a, was a great stop for me. I mean, to play in the heartland of America uh, where the, you know, one of the great, what's that? That would have been a great stop for anybody. I never saw a game in St. Louis until I covered it for Fox during the playoffs and World Series. What a oh. tremendous baseball town. Oh, so can imagine getting traded from the Montreal Expos <laughs> to, the, to the St. Louis Cardinals that night in Montreal. Um, well, actually, we were on the road. We were we were in Houston, and and when the word got out to my teammates, they all showed up in my hotel room, all of them, and they all were jumping up and down. For me, they were excited. They're like, "Hud, how did you do it? How did you get out of here? How did you, how did you do it?" And so I was like, "Hey, I didn't do anything." The white rat wanted some some more speed, and he and he so he anyway. So I'm I'm. Uh, Sitting on the du- top step of the dugout one day, enjoying you know the day game, and something hit me in the head. I thought it was a peanut. Uh, I, I picked my hat. I took my hat off. There was a June big June bug on it. Uh, June bugs, you know, are colorful. They had all kinds of uh, colors. It was beautiful. I was like, wow, look at this. So like any kid would do, I take my hat off and I show my teammates in the dugout. Look at this bug. And uh, I'm I'm walking it around. And Tom Pagnazzi Pagna- goes, eat it, Hud. <laughs> and I said, I said, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I'm not mentally prepared to do this. Uh, I, think, I think, you know, oh, but maybe, hey, this is a, this is a, a, this is a business proposal right here. I got an opportunity here. All right, I'll eat it. How much you give me? And he said, ten bucks. I said, ten bucks. Shake yourself. You're a big league player. That's embarrassing. You would say ten dollars. <laughs> and so he goes, all right, hundred. 
Now we're talking. I went down to the next guy, uh, Frank DiPino, hundred, Lee Smith, hundred, Luis Alice, hundred, Joe McGrain, hundred. And so here I'm, I'm getting closer to Whitey. Whitey is at the one to the dugout. And I, 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 I locked up and I saw Whitey was looking at me like, what are you doing? The Mets were beating a seven to nothing. And I'm in there raising money for us to eat some bug. And so I turned back around, I head back to the other end of the dugout and, and I said, okay, um, uh, I'll do it. And P- Pagnazzi goes, okay, we have a stipulation. You have to chew him. And I said, yeah, I got a stipulation. I'm not chewing Jack until I get the cash in my hand. <laughs> so they all get up. Remember Psycho back then we had valuable boxes. You put all yeah. your necklaces, change your money in one box and locked it up. They all got up from in, in the middle of the game, got up. So one of your valuable box. Kill all your stuff. <laughs> yeah. They went to the valuable box and every, and even back then guys, Ball players carried $100 bills in their wallets, okay? So so here they come. Here they come. Handing $100 bills. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight C-notes in my hand, and I and that bug never flew off my hat. He's sitting there the whole time. And so I took him. I picked him up. I put him in my mouth. I chewed him. I chewed him up real good, and I put him on my tongue, and I showed him to my bench. Ah. Okay? And they, they freaked out. They grown men freaked out by, by the look of that chewed up June bug. And I, and so I, I put that cash in my pocket and I sat in the dug, sat in the back on the bench thinking, Ooh, I'm preparing for a bad taste. And the stinking bug tasted like bacon. It was the easiest money I ever made. So we, we came, we came back from seven, nothing and we won the game. So that it became the rally bug. And, and all the guys are walking out afterwards. And my wife, Jennifer was sitting, you know, in, they're outside of the clubhouse waiting for me. And so by the time I got out there, all the guys would walk by her saying, don't kiss your husband tonight. And so, but, so when I got there, she goes, why, what did you do now? And I said, honey, I just, I, I ate a June bug. She said, what? So I pulled out the cash and I handed it to her. She snatched the cash out of my hand. And, and so then, therefore, the story leaked out. And heck, I still have to tell it everywhere. That gave me the nickname Bug Eater. <laughs> Okay, Jack Buck, Jack Buck, Mike Shannon. Hey, right along Gary Thorne, psycho, right, right in his league. Jack Buck, you know uh, uh, Shannon, you know. So I go slide into in, in the, in the second base. I was head first huddler. Okay, they would call me. He he, he goes into first base with a head. You know, he's head first. And then Shannon came up with a nickname, Hurricane. When he slides into second base. It, the dirt flies like a hurricane. And so, you know, you know, in, in St. Louis, man, those people, they live and breathe baseball. So sure enough, now I'm Hurricane Hudler. So Bob Tewksbury wrote, does a little caricature of me diving into to first base. We put it on a T-shirt and we sold it uh, for charity for hospitals. Uh, so it was, it was, you know, I was either head first Hudler in St. Louis or I was Hurricane Hudler. And then uh, Wonder Dog, Chris Berman gave me um, – when I was making a few plays, a couple highlight catches, you know, and, and he goes, man, he says, so Wonder Dog. So that kind of stuck uh, with Chris Berman, a, big, a, big, a famous guy like him, gives you that label. So I had several, and a, a lot of them uh, a lot less flattering. I can tell you Wrigley Field was a lot of fun to play in. I heard, <laughs> I heard everything. Quick quick story. I, I played the outfield there. You, you didn't hear anything in the infield. Remember, Psycho? Because your focus on the ball and the ball being hit at you at 100-plus you know, you didn't have time to hear anything. But when you're in the outfield, oh, man, I heard everything. And so they were, they were uh, uh, Wrigley Field, you know, the, the bunch there uh, who've been there for a thousand years started bragging me about my name. 
Okay, Rex. Rex is a dog's name. Uh, in back in the, back in the grade school books. So so uh, you know they're going. Hey, you know they give me the whole game. First five innings, everything was about my name. Hey, you know you're in the book. You know, do you sit? Sit, Rex. Sit. You know all these all these things. And so finally, and the fifth thing comes about, and I'm, and I'm I'm going. You know what? I'm 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 not going to act like I ignore these people. I am going to engage in them. So when they when I heard the line, hey, hey Rex, when you're in a car, do you hold your head out the window? When I when I heard that one, that's when I that's when I I took my right arm and I I mean my right hand. And I started scratching my ribs and I picked up my right leg and shook it like a dog. I shook it. And they just roared. Oh. I heard I heard five thousand people roar at the same time. And they, they almost had to stop the game to go, what the heck's going on out there? <laughs> but they were on me so hard. So you know what? I, I loved uh, the crowd psycho. I had so much fun with the people. And you know, lots of and I wasn't that good a player. So whenever I'd be running off the field, you know, fans would stand up and go, Hudler, you suck, you're a bum. And and I was I wouldn't just act like I ignored them. I would stop look at him and say, I know I suck, but he keeps playing me. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I had some, uh, people were yelling at us all the time. I loved it. It made, yeah. us, made us both play better, you know? I mean. Yeah, it was beautiful, Psycho. I, I miss it. I, I just share with people just the love of the – that was my first life and my first love was to be a player. Man, I still want to play. It was so fun. Coming yeah. to the ballpark, man, with that adrenaline and that going, I'm going to a big league ballpark. I'll never forget that feel, Psycho. How about you? Not, not, not a day in my life. I mean, there's no way uh, I'll ever do anything in my life that was more fun or, or better than that or, or felt more proud to do it. Um, but you're right. You and I were in a different era, too, because today we would be looked at as, as, as great ambassadors for the game. But back when you and I played, what was, what was the biggest thing that someone would say to you? If you turned around and looked into the crowd, what would someone say to you? Oh, you're a hot dog, man. You're, you're yeah, of, get your head out of the stands. You know, right. These days, Talk, you know, I stopped. I used to, I used to before games go down the line with like three baseballs and just play catch with any kid that had a ball. And I had to take three because there would usually be one kid that would take the ball and run away with it and act like, ha I got the ball. I'm like, dude, I got another one. <laughs> and I take the very first kid and I throw it to him. I'd say, throw it back to me. I threw it to him, throw it back to me. I, You're going to get this at the end. And then I'd just go right down the line. Any kid that had a, a glove, I'd play catch with them. But, yeah, I, I had so many stories of, of guys that were messing with me in the crowd. And all they really want is to be acknowledged. I mean, never, I never turned around and flipped them off or told them off or anything like that. I always tried to get them to be a fan of mine. I answered right. them. I, I would start talking to them. And they just want to be heard in some way or another. And, and uh you know, I have a lot of stories about interactions with fans that that made me feel better that, as you said, I, I think you said it perfectly because there were so many guys in the stands that were exactly like me. I just got that extra opportunity to make it and play in big league baseball. And I, dude, I never took it one day for granted. Oh, psycho. Great. Hey, great. Uh, uh, you're bringing up a memory of the power of the uniform. And, you know, in 20 years now, you and I have been blessed. To, to be on the other side now, we have the second best job is what I tell people. We have the second best job in the world now, broadcasting baseball. But when I had the power of the uniform, people knew me when I put my uniform on. When they when I was out shopping, you know, off the field, no one knew me. But when I and I really enjoyed it, and I would put always put an extra wristband or two on my wrist, and I 
bring up an extra pair of old batting gloves and put them in my pocket. And I would go down the line before the game and I would purposely pick out a kid that looked like he was sad or it looked like he maybe had a rough uh, family life or something. And I would go to that kid and say, hey, young man, I, I got an extra uh, batting glove here, an extra gloves. Would you like to have them? And, you know, he was like just blown away. And, and, I, and I'd watch him. I'd hand him the gloves and I would watch him. And he would take them and run up to his, his babysitter or, or his dad or whoever he was with. And he would go, look, look what I got. And so that really made me feel good that I could use the power of the uniform in the game to make somebody else feel good. So I go, those are things I'll never forget. And really what I miss the most. And that's just, you know, engaging with young people, engaging with kids, teaching them how, when they say here, sign this, excuse me, what do you mean here? How about, how about a manner? Did your mom teach you any manners? How about please? Or, or thank you. How about, how about, excuse me, sir. You know, and I loved working with the kid. And, and when, when I would say that to him and look at him, they had a, a look on their face like, yeah, no one ever taught me that. So I use that power of the uniform to work the kid, work the adults, and always have fun, psycho. You, you know what I got all the time? And, and I did the same thing. It just didn't take that much to make someone's day when right. you're involved. And, but I used to get this all the time. Hey, Steve, Steve, Steve. Hey, Cycle, come here, come here. Hey, Steve, come here. And I'd walk over there and, and they'd hand me the ball. They'd say, hey, could, do you think you could get Roger Clemens to sign? Guys. <laughs> 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 like, like, come on, man. I hate to do this. I, I said at the beginning, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have much to say in this. And I thank God I didn't. Uh, you talk about ambassadors for the game. What you said here. Uh, to share with the fans. That's what it's all about. And, and the quotes I read earlier uh, about Steve and, and about Rex, about giving to the game because you cared so much about it, loved it, took your position seriously. Uh, it's all there and it all came out. I can't thank you guys enough for doing this. We could go on and on and on and maybe at a later date we will, but for, for all of us, for Steve Lyons, Rex Hudler, thank you so much. Uh, for, for the great joy you've given us here. I haven't laughed so much in a long time. That is going to conclude another chapter of our Sports Rivals. I want to remind you that we are brought to you by our sponsor, Bet Online. You can head to betonline.ag today, take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. You can find our show at believe.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're listening on an Apple podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. And to learn more about our show and other episodes, you can log on to sportsrivals.com, join our conversation, questions, suggestions for future shows, love to hear from you. Also, follow us on Instagram at TheSportsRivals, Twitter at Rivals underscore podcast, and Facebook by searching for The Sports Rivals Podcast. That's going to do it for this show. Great delight. Rex Hadler, Steve Lyons, our guests today. And remember, it is the rivalries that make the game. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.